0: Good morning. good morning Oh, This is going to be good. Not oh, that's that sounded terrible. What I'm going to be really good, so be ready. like thats No, it's just there was some energy from second service, which is really good to have right now. Uh, we're going to be using a Bible, so get yours and open it to Ephesians 4. If you forgot to bring one or like ours or want to borrow them, we've got some fantastic-looking men that will put one into your hands. Just put your hand up. I'm going to set my, uh, myself up here, but while I set myself up and they're handing out Bibles, I'm also going to give you a couple more announcements, but I want to do it by way of story. Um, story one. I was walking over at first service with my younger son, JJ, and uh, we walked over to the kids area because I wanted to check on Abby, who's in charge of our children's church. Abby um, uh, sent out a notification yesterday that we had to cancel for the third through fifth graders. And um, so I went over to check to make sure that that was the case. And my son goes, why are we going over there? And, oh, I'm going to check on Abby. Oh, and why, he says. And I said, well, it's because, you know, they don't have a teacher, and so they're going to cancel three through, five, uh, three through five. And he goes, oh, well, someone always steps in to cover. And I said, that right there is the problem. In that um, we have a beautiful thing going on with how much we're able to provide here, but it is completely dependent upon volunteers. You may be new to us and not realize Like, Because it looks like things are running so well, you may not realize that there are actually still needs that we have of you to help out. And so if you are interested at all in teaching, if you're interested at all in being a part of kids ministry, even if you're a little bit nervous, we'll help you. We will train you. We will give you the curriculum. Abby has a great system going on over there. Um, sign up volunteer come talk to me go talk to Abby Uh, let's get you plugged in and get you serving it's good for us as a church and it's good for you as a follower of Christ second story Um, remember back when we were teaching the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 Jesse told you that there are certain roles within the church that are given pastors teachers in order to equip someone to do the work of the ministry who is it that we are to equip to do the work of the ministry the saints is the word. Who are the saints? And so everybody take your thumb like this. Take it. I'm telling you. And Do this. <clears throat> you. You. It, it, the goal is not for the people that are paid at the church to do the ministry. The goal is for the people that are paid at the church to equip you to do the ministry that God has uniquely called you to. So it's really exciting when people come to me and go, hey, I'm thinking about doing something. I want to offer something to the church, but I don't exactly know how to do it. I'll be in charge of it if you can't find somebody else, but I'd just be content to be a part of it if we had it. Um, Can you help me? I love conversations like that. So a guy that goes to first service, uh, his name is William. He came to me a couple of months ago. William has... Uh, in his short life, uh, because he's a younger guy, uh, already gone through a significant portion of uh, grief as a result of various losses that he has experienced, mostly through death of multiple family members. William has significantly benefited from a curriculum that was put together by an organization called GriefShare, which is not like a group therapy in as much as it is a way to be guided through the material to see how the truth of God's word can help you work through the process of grief. William found a whole lot of freedom and joy as a result of him being able to be a part of it and said, I'd love to somehow see something like this built at the church. And if there isn't somebody willing to do it, I'll do it. That's exactly the spirit that we're looking for. And so I've been working with William to try to put together a group that we are now going to be able to start up. We didn't do it intentionally on 9-11, but it is going to be the first day that worked out well. And I would encourage you, if you have at all seen signs within yourself that you are struggling with grief and you're, you're hoping to try to find some resources of what it looks like to work through the grief process, um, maybe come check it out. You can sign up on the website, sign up through the app, you can talk to William, you can talk to me, uh, and hopefully let God use his truth to work you through that uh, very significant process. That being said, that's all the announcements that I have for the day. So what I want to do now is I want to get into the text uh, and spare, uh, spare no more time before we get to talk about this because it is really important. So what I want you to do is now that you've got your open Bible in front of you to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to invite you to stand if you can. And the reason why we stand uh, is to use our bodies to remind ourselves about how significant This is, there's a church that I have seen that they even like have trained all of their people to like they all hold up their Bibles when they do this. And they have like this thing that they say that's kind of like a rifleman's creed, but it's like their Bible. I I like it. It feels a little cultish, but I like it. (laughs) I like it because of the content that's in it, because they... They then use their own words to remind them. So I'm going to s- steal a portion. What I want you to do is, I want you to look at the open page in front of you, and I just want you to say out loud, These are, God's words. These are God's words. And they are, and that's why we're going to take them seriously. I'm going to start reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Holy Spirit, I beg you to fall upon this place. We don't need to see any magic tricks. We don't need to see some type of spectacular thing. We just know that that we need more than just information. We need you to speak to your people. Open the hearts of your people. Let them hear your words, and let them be so excited to put them into action to bring you the glory this week. Amen. You can be seated. So as we continue along in our series of Ephesians, not knowing whether or not you've been with us, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time in background, but I do want you to know at least the general flow of thought coming up to it, uh, coming up to our passage this morning. Paul has been teaching the Ephesian church that we who are in Christ, those of us who are Christians, those who are in Christ, that we are united together into one body. It doesn't, doesn't matter if we're Jew or Gentile Paul is trying to teach us that we are united in one body. By the time we get to chapter 4, he's been teaching us about what it looks like for us to be a part of that one body. So getting to verses 25 through 32, one of the things, if I can, I always try to look at um, what, I, I try to ask the question, what's the one thing I want people to be thinking as they walk out. Because I do have the full intention of teaching you verse by verse what this passage is. But there is one thing. If I could only give you one thing, I'm going to start with it. Verse 32. Look at the first phrase there. Be kind to one another. That word kind is the Greek word krestos, which almost sounds like Christos. and Indeed, those words were actually used almost interchangeably in the first century church. But when Paul says, I want you to be crestus to one another, it's often translated kind, but what a fuller idea would be benevolent or intentionally or actively kind and loving. If we want to try to understand how a word is used, one of the best tools for you to take upon yourself is to start seeing where is that word used elsewhere in Scripture. One of the main places that stuck out to me where this word crestus is used is when Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for it is, and it's often translated, easy. Now the word that Jesus actually uses is crestus. Now I have a tendency to look at that and say that easy means that what I get to do is just chillax and do nothing. Generally speaking, There's a portion of that that's true. I don't have to do anything to earn Jesus' favor. He loves me precisely who I am and died for me even when I was his enemy. We'll get to that in a moment. But when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for it is crestus, he's not saying easy insofar as you have nothing to do. He's saying that it's easy insofar as you don't have to worry about keeping all 600 something Old Testament laws anymore, instead, What I want you to do is to focus in me and through my power to be kind and loving and benevolent to everyone who's around you, such that Jesus at a different time teaches when he was asked what's the most important commandment. He says, love God and do what? What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. The same type of language that Paul is going to start using throughout this passage in Ephesians. We're going to see... That he's going to push us in the direction of trying to intentionally follow Christ. Actually, what I want you to see before we even start unpacking 25 through 32 are the the verses immediately prior to it. Because what Paul is going to show us is a three-step process to taking Jesus seriously and growing in our relationship with him. It starts in verse 22. Look at it. Step one, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Step two, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Step three, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Which takes me to an explanation as to why I've brought these items up on the stage. This is my jacket. I'd like you to see me wearing this jacket. I did not buy this jacket. I stole it from my father. Because I went through a serious phase in which I loved everything from the 70s. And I felt like if I could somehow live like the 70s, that I would just have this super cool style. You see how well it's working, right? <laughs> now, I have, to, I have to put this line in because I didn't put it in in the first service and I got hammered by about 15 different men that came to me and they're like, hey, um, I have one of those jackets. And i was like, <laughs> <laughs> if you wanna wear this jacket, fine, wear the jacket. But here's the point that I wanna use it for, for the analogy. This jacket is ridiculous. And it's not just ridiculous because of the way that it makes me look, although I, uh, I do look somewhat ridiculous, although a couple of people were being really kind. They're like, keep it on. It looks great. I'm like, stop. Well, no, <laughs> no. no, it's a ridiculous jacket. If I, if it's raining outside, can you wear suede in the rain? N- no, if I, I mean, you can once, but then, I mean, like if I, if I want to go skiing, am I going to wear this jacket? If I want to go rock climbing, I'm not going to climb in this. This this jacket is literally just for looks. It has to be like the perfect condition for this jacket to somehow be somewhat useful. This is a ridiculous jacket. This jacket today is going to represent Brad's old man. This is what I used to be. Worried more about what I look like than how I could actually be engaged in what I really needed to be doing. What Paul is pointing out in this first step is that I must intentionally take off my old self, my old man. The second step, I must be renewed in the spirit of my mind. And I will come to this book over and over again looking for its guidance, listening to my teacher Jesus who is documented in here with the words of life. And he calls me to put on my new self. The reason why I selected this jacket, actually there are a few of them. One, this jacket was given to me this year. This is a very expensive jacket that I would not have bought for myself. And if you have this jacket, I don't judge you for paying for it because it's worth paying for a jacket that is as nice as this jacket. It is immensely useful. I can do all kinds of things. I can snow blow in this jacket. I can ski, I can climb. I can layer with it because it's nice and light, which layering is way more useful if I'm gonna start actually doing something in the outdoors. And the beautiful part, like I said, is that this was blessed to me this year. My new man, this jacket, it's not something that I can in and of myself bring about. But it is something that I do have to intentionally put on in the power of God. And what I want to show you this morning is how Paul takes this three-step process through verses 25 through 32 and shows it over and over and over again to describe for us what life in one body looks like. So, that being said, let's first look at verse 25, where Paul shows this first three step process for the process of truthfulness. In Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24, Paul, I don't know if you caught it when Jesse was teaching it last week, Paul has made seven different references about how our minds have to be renewed by Christ. And that's why he then, in verse 25, says, Therefore, it's connected to the idea that he was hammering home in the previous verses. Therefore, having put away, or the word there uh, connotes renouncing or removing from yourself. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul quotes Zechariah chapter 8 verse 16 when he says speak truth to one another and Paul says that the reason for this is that we belong to one another we are all part of one body we're not all the same body part we all have different roles in the same body but he has driven it home over and over again in chapter 4 verse 4 verse 12 verse 16 verse 15 about Christ being the head that all of us are part of one body And so with this guiding principle of us being part of one body, he says that we need to be people that have put off falseness and put on truthfulness. I want you to think about my old self, and hopefully, by connection, your old self. You see, when I have a tendency to have my old self on I think that generally speaking, it's good enough as long as I'm not lying to you. That's good enough. But even so, my old self still has a tendency to lie. And it it could be a variety of reasons. Maybe it's because I don't trust you well enough to tell you the truth. Maybe it's because I'm trying to manipulate you to do something. Maybe it's because I really just don't even care enough about you to even think about what is true in our relationship with one another. I just got to try to make you do something. Maybe it's because you are so afraid that if somebody actually knew who you really were that they wouldn't be able to deal with it. And so you live hidden in your old self. You have to intentionally remove it from you. You have to take it off in the power of the spirit. And instead, be informed uh, and let your mind be renewed. That when I'm interacting with somebody, I'm no longer trying to figure out how I need to hide and lie to them. I'm no longer trying to figure out how I need to lie to manipulate them. Instead, I'm seeing this loved person that's in front of me. And if they are in Christ like me, they are part of the same body with me. But that's not enough to just see them that way. I need to put on my new self. As the Spirit has informed my mind to think about you correctly in our relationship with one another, I need to intentionally put on this new self and be a person that is legitimately genuine with you. Have you ever been around people like that? That just feel like there's no trickery, there's no fakeness to them. They're just real. And it's not the fake kind of real, keeping it real, bro. No, it's like the they're almost they're almost childish in a good way. In this there's just no sneakiness because they're so informed in their thinking that they don't have to be anything other than what God made them to be, and they don't need you to be anything specifically for them. They're so at home just resting in who God has been in their life and where God is taking them that when they put on their new self, they can genuinely just be present with you. And in the power of the Spirit, you can be this person of truthfulness. Paul then moves on to the next category of ways of us living with one another in verses 26 through 27 when he talks about anger. Look at the verses be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil again paul quotes the old testament from psalm 44 which might look a little bit different from your old testament version cuz paul's actually quoting from the septuagint the greek version of the bible so the translation is a little bit different but paul quoting be angry and do not sin And then adds, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. A couple things I want to point out to you about this verse. First, it's just kind of like a side point. When I was first married, people came and gave me really good advice. They also gave me bad advice, but sometimes they gave me good advice. And one of the the advices, I'm not going to call it good or bad, because I think it was well-intentioned, that was given to me is don't go to bed angry with your spouse. Have you heard this before? it's not necessarily terrible advice, but my general way of failure in the Christian life is I love making rules and I love making little legalisms for myself. In my heart is this little Pharisee that loves coming up with little rules, okay? And I would look at that and I'd be like, well, then that means that even if it means that we're staying up all night long, we are going to sort this out. You know what my little pharisaical heart missed? It actually says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So the moment that I've passed sunset, I've already failed. If I'm fighting at 2 a.m., it's probably not going to be an effective fight. (laughs) The point that Paul wants to point out, not only in our anger with our spouses, but with one another, is the fact that if we allow anger to continue to be a part of any of our relationships... Look at who sneaks in. Verse 27 Give no opportunity to the devil. You see, in your old self, you will be the type of person who not only will get angry, it's not just Paul saying, Hey, be angry. What Paul is actually saying is that I know you're going to get angry. What your old self will do is figure out ways to justify your anger. I have also learned this with my wife. The way in which my old self most commonly shows up in my life is when I am driving a car. (laughs) Because what will happen, and bless my wife, she has figured out that addressing this directly is not really effective, so she has kind of stopped doing it but she will point out to me my non-Christ-like driving behavior at times. And what I will do in my ridiculous old coat is I will justify why this person does not deserve to have a driver's license and should never have been given the authority to be behind the wheel, right? I know you guys don't do this. I do this regularly, unfortunately. My old coat, I'll look down and it will be on me. I will find ways to justify my anger. Do you find ways to justify your anger? That person that wronged you, how dare they do that to you? That person that said that to you, how could they say that? I feel so justified in my anger. Look, there are a few times when you could probably be angry and it wouldn't be sin. But I'm telling you, if you were to put off this ridiculous coat in your anger, what you need to do is to start informing your mind, step two, about what are the things that makes God angry. And one of the things that makes God angry is for us to be inappropriately angry. Have you noticed that about him? You really think that your anger could really match God's most of the time? What the old person looks like is a festering anger that just persistently stays. And instead, what we need to do is be informed by the Holy Spirit and by his word to explore our anger. And let me just say to you too, if you are a person who has lived the majority of your life dealing with anger, can I just give you the right to recognize that you may at this point need to actually go to a counselor to work through that process? We here at this church are not the type of people that are somehow going to look down on you if you recognize. I have made so many crisscross thinking patterns in my brain that now I need somebody to help me untie this knot of fishing line that my mind has become. Go and deal with your anger. Explore it with God's help. Because what you want to do when you start to sense your anger is to be informed by the truth of God's word and to put on your new self. When you sense that anger, to explore it and to say that the most important thing that this passage teaches me is to make sure that I'm keeping short accounts. If you have made someone in this room angry, you need to go deal with it fast. If you have been made angry by someone in this room, Don't give the devil an opportunity by festering in your old self. You will look ridiculous and it will damage this church. And I can't let that happen. I love you too much to let you live that way. Put on your new self. Explore your anger with Christ, keeping short accounts so that Satan has no place to divide you. The next one, verse 28, Paul goes from talking about our anger to talking about our sense of provision it's almost an interesting phrase to feel like you need to get instructed as somebody within the church hey stop stealing from each other but Paul directly goes there but I want you to see the way that he talks about it verse 28 let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I'm not necessarily much of a thief. I just, I I haven't stolen much in my life. I stole one time when I was a kid and I got caught and it was a miserable experience of getting caught and I didn't steal again for probably another 10 years and I still, when I stole in that moment, I still regret it to this day in the sense that like when I think about it, it's like how, how could I, like it eats me alive. But you know what I do struggle with? I, I'm just going to assume that you're kind of that way. You're probably not like a thief per se. But you know what I do struggle with is actually believing that God's really going to provide for me. Think about the people that steal. Generally speaking, my guess would be it's because they feel like they need to make it happen for themselves. I need to take what I need I need to make sure that I get what's mine. And so they steal from someone else, not seeing the other person, but seeing what it is that I need instead of believing that God will provide what he promised that he will. Obviously, we need to, my, my old coat, which I don't need to belabor this point, I would be taking as much as I possibly can this verse focuses more on what the new side looks like. Notice the, the two things that are told to the thief. One, let him what? Labor. And that work, that word there, is not just for like easy work. It's like sweaty type of work. Let him get to work. Work is a holy thing. God wants you to work. Work but it's a different kind of work when you put on your new self. Did you notice this? Was the reason for the work to accumulate as many goods as you possibly can? Or was the reason for the work that you might have a comfortable life? What's the reason for the work, according to verse 28? To share. To put on the new self is not just avoiding stealing. To put on the new self is to see the fruits of your own labor as a means for you to have something that you can share with someone else. Not to accumulate for yourself, but so that you can be a blessing to other people. Looking around, how can I give my time, my money, my energy through my own toil? I had a, a beautiful conversation with somebody that's in this room, so I won't embarrass him, but he, he called me this week and said, hey, um, I don't have any money, but I can work hard. Is there anything at the church that you guys need me to do? How beautiful of a conversation is that? You think God needs his money? Now look, some of you that make money, you need to give money to the church. Flat out just going to say it. Not because, it's, not because it helps pay my bills. I do like that. But because it's good for you. Because God, Jesus, your teacher, has told you that you cannot serve both God and money. So you do that by giving your money to God and trusting him for your provision. But for those of you who are in a spot where you just, I don't, I don't have the money to give. You might want to explore maybe even if you need to give even as like a micro step of faith. But it's not just giving money. It's figuring out how can I help the people around me with the resources and the work that I have available to me. That's what the new self looks like. Moving from God's provision, Paul then shows us this three-step three thing in the way that we talk in verses 29 through 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This word in verse 29, let no corrupting, or maybe your your version says something like unwholesome or unholy. This word, this Greek word is sapros, which was a word to describe fruit, that someone had grown to try to sell, but it was rotten and could not be sold, or fish that the fisherman caught to try to sell to make his living, but it had gone bad and now was useless. What Paul is saying is that sometimes the words that we use have a tendency to be completely useless. When I'm thinking about my old self, I might have a tendency to think that in my old self, it would be good enough if I like, I don't know, like I said, I grew up with a micro-Pharisee inside my heart, so like as long as I'm not using swear words, I'm good to go. I'm obeying this text. That's like step point three in the process, okay? God is not threatened by combinations of letters. (laughs) (laughs) but I'll tell you where my old self shows up. I make jokes about it a lot. So by this point, you should probably have picked up because with every joke, there's always a little bit of truth, right? But I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a pretty small guy. And um, I, uh, when I was younger, I was even smaller, which I'm not sure if you know how biology works, but that's typical. <laughs> but on top of it, I was going to a high school that was basically the the people that were the most lauded in my high school were the athletes. And not only was I small and weak, but I also was clumsy. I was not super popular. But you know what made it worse? What made me ridiculous even more? Is that at that time, God had given me, even the gift that I have now that allows me to speak to you, And instead of just embracing who it was that God had made me to be and embracing that role, I decided that I would use my words to tear you down so that I could feel better about myself. Because if you felt like an idiot, then maybe I could feel okay around you. And I didn't realize how ridiculous I looked because I felt kind of good in the moment. The tearing you down was an easy way to make me feel good. My words not just were unwholesome, they were useless. They were corrupting, they were dangerous, and they created a division between me and literally everyone else. You think a person like that had lots of friends? I had very few friends, only friends who were friends with me because their parents made me be made them be friends with me because we went to the same church. Like I was ridiculous. And it was my own fault because I was wearing my old self to try to make me feel better. Now, I don't know if that's something that you did, but it's certainly something that I had to put off in the power of Christ. And instead, I had to be informed by who it was that God had made me to be and embrace the mission that he put in front of me that I didn't have to be something other than what I was. That my words could be used what i found to build each other's to build other people up and that i could figure out ways to put on my new self and not just avoid using my words to cut you down but instead try to figure out ways to use my words to build you up my friends you don't need to be spiritually gifted to do this if somebody looks good tell them don't you like being told when you look good even if you don't look good? Like, man, you're looking good today. That's just, Even if it's taken as a joke, isn't that way better than somebody making fun of your t-shirt? Being the type of person that encourages other people, being the type of person that uses their words as a blessing to other people, just hunting around to try to figure out what is something that I could say that would make this person feel encouraged. Have you ever been around? You know who I really envy? Have you ever been around the type of person... That just every time you talk to them, they feel like your long-lost best friend? Have you ever met somebody like that before? I love those people. Even if they're faking it, I still love it. Because I, we all want friends, right? We, we want to be known and cared for and loved and embraced for who we are. Those people have figured out how to use their words to bless other people. And in the power of God, all of us can put on our new self and do the same. Because if we don't, look at the warning. Verse 30, what happens? We will grieve the Holy Spirit if we do the opposite. One of the biggest lies that we have been told in our lives is that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will what? Never hurt me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Now, what I like about where we have come is that as a society we looked at that and we're like that's wrong but society does what societies always do and they swing the pendulum in the far opposite direction and now they're like words are violence it's like whoa, no they're not they're words but words are significantly more powerful than we often give them credit aren't they Like the words that you say about yourself or you say to someone else or the words that somebody say to you, they become your thoughts. And your thoughts stem into your actions and guide the decisions that you make. Or even just think about this. If you and I wanted to have a relationship with one another, generally one of the best ways to do that is for us to know our thoughts and feelings about things. How is it that you learn about my thoughts and feelings. You ask questions and you listen for the answers. You know what I've realized? The only way for your spirit and my spirit to be able to connect is through words. The way that the physical world crosses paths with the spiritual world is through our words. This is why it's so significant that Jesus was the living word. It grieves the Holy Spirit then when we use speech that is not filled with kingdom power. And so Paul reminds us in verse 30 of what he said in chapter 1, that by that Holy Spirit we were sealed until our redemption. If you want to make God sad, be a person who does not restrain his speech. But conversely, if you want to live in a way that joins with the Holy Spirit, let your speech be a blessing to others. Paul concludes this idea by driving it home with the last two verses, which are kind of summary verses for what he has been saying. In verses 31 to 32, he says this Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Instead be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you If you want to be a person that no one likes be a person of anger and wrath and malice and clamor, who's always got a problem with something and is always griping about something and always is filled with all of the frustrations that are you realize that this world is making money off of you by making you angry, right? You know this. If you don't, let's talk more about it. But one quick clue every time you watch the news, does it make you happy? I want to be informed. I understand, is it making you happy? I'm not going to bash you if you want to watch the news. Watch the news if you want to watch the news. I personally, I can't do it. It makes me too angry. And this isn't helping anybody. Being a person of festering constant anger, where I'm constantly griping about the thing that's going wrong around me, instead of just looking for an opportunity to be informed by God's word in such a way that I can put on my new self and try to figure out how is it that instead of me being frustrated about what's going on in life that I can look around and say how can I bless people with my words with my actions with my time with my money with my energies look at the way that we're described in verse 32 instead be kind to one another that crestus that usefully kind that fitting goodness that benevolence and then he says this really fun word that i just have to share with you because it's fun he says i want you to be good bowled towards one another somewhere along the lines and i'm not quite sure why we went from the center of the human spirit being in the bowels to moving north and being tender-hearted to one another but the point that he's trying to make is hey, how about you try a little sympathy? How about you step outside your own head for a minute and think this person that's in front of me, not only are they intimately loved by God, and God has a very distinct and beautiful plan for them, but they think a certain way for a certain reason, and they said that for a certain reason. And they make their decisions the way that they do. And I I know what that feels like to go through that a little bit. Allow yourself to have some good-boweled sympathy for the people that are around you. And then last, he lays down the gauntlet. Forgiving each other just as also God in Christ forgave you. That if I am to model my teacher Christ. I must model a forgiving sacrifice that was done even before I asked for forgiveness. Paul wrote elsewhere in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, that Christ died for us even when we were his enemies. The type of forgiveness that we are being called to in the power of the Spirit in your new self is not the type of forgiveness that feels so magnanimous when they finally come up to you and you're like hey man I'm sorry and you're like I forgive you brother the type of forgiveness to which we're being called is the one that already starts forgiving before the request for forgiveness is even made because you were forgiven when you were God's enemy can you imagine what type of world we would be in if everyone you knew just sprinted to forgiveness every time something went wrong it would be such a beautiful place One day, I don't know if we'll get to really experience it because I'm not sure how I will wrong you when I don't have sin, but I will tell you that in the light of Jesus' forgiveness constantly in front of me, we will taste that in our lives with one another. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as they prepare themselves musically for us to be able to respond. And I just want to say this by way of conclusion since we christians are members of one another parts of the same body in and through christ and in the power of the holy spirit we have to begin by putting off our old ways by seeking truth through the intentional learning from our teacher jesus and we must take on his crestus his good his beautiful yoke of intentionally blessing everyone who's around us the last thought i'll leave you with if you are anything like me you're going to keep reaching for your old jacket every once in a while or you'll just be living your life and suddenly you'll look down and be like oh geez i'm wearing it again and it'll get away from you it's okay god understands what the process is when you've noticed that your old self is back on, pause and ask God to forgive you. Possibly ask someone in front of you to forgive you. Man, that's not the type of person that I want to be. Those aren't the words that I wanted to use. I certainly did not want to make you feel that way. Or even, even being honest, I did want to make you feel that way and that was wrong and I need your forgiveness. And then intentionally Think about what is true in Christ and take the direct steps to put on your new nature through his power of intentionally blessing everyone that crosses your path. Have some grace for yourself. You won't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. No one here is expecting you to do it perfectly. But you do have to try to do it. And he will give you the power to do it. Be encouraged by this. God will not call you to anything that he will not give you the power to accomplish. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are calling us to be greater than we are. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have forgiven me already for the next failure that is in front of me. Spirit, by your power, let me be a person that truly and clearly sees Jesus and lives him for the people around me. We will give you the praise and the honor for it. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we close.